guys. Welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast with inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. Hi, I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I'm Sona. I'm a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. Our guest today is Faith Cadona. She is chair of the Survivor Advisory Council for Street Grace in Georgia. She's a trauma-informed certified for youth and adults and is working on her master's in marriage and family studies. Faith has accompanied survivors on tattoo cover-up appointments with Atlanta Redemption, Inc. She currently works as a subject matter expert with Street Grace And Faith is also a Tyro Mom Certified Facilitator that teaches women how to overcome the effects of incarceration. She has worked with Hope Court in Chatham County, Georgia, as a mentor coordinator and mentor to youth in the system. Welcome, Faith. We're so glad you're with us today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, we're very excited to to hear your story and... uh, we're encouraged. This is going to be good today. Yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah. Uh, so, where would you say that your story starts? Honestly, I would say my story starts before I was four years old. Um, okay. My uh, biological mother. So the first time I ever had a price tag put on me, I was a little under four. Um, my biological mother wasn't taking care of me. I had already suffered broken bones. I had been left in overnight daycares. Um, my aunt would spend weeks trying to find me because my dad wouldn't know where I was, but only, you know, only my mom did. And so it was, you know, things like that. So by the time I was, it was, I was just shy of being four. Uh, my grandmother asked my biological mother to, if she could adopt me. Mm-hmm. And had the papers ready. And my mom said, not, not unless you get me a car, not unless you get me an apartment, not unless you pay for my bills for a couple of months and groceries. If you help me get back on my feet, I'll let you adopt her to keep her in the family. And my grandmother was torn because it, it wasn't like she wanted to purchase me, you know, but she was trying to save my life from my parents. And so my grandmother agreed because the other alternative would have been adopting me outside of the family or foster care or something like that. So it was the only way to save my life at the time. And so she agreed. So that was like the inception point to me of having that label of this is how much money you're worth, right? This is your value. And even as a child, I was sitting in the back seat when it happened. And even as a child, you still retain those subconscious memories and things like that. So that's really when my story started was sure. when I was little. Wow. Um, so did you end up actually getting adopted by your grandmother? So my, my grandmother, my father's sister adopted me, Okay. which, you know, both my grandmother's children. So my father's sisters adopted me, went from being my aunt to my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was married and had a child. And then there were some other things that happened like abuse and, you know, sexual abuse entered the picture for me and things like that. Okay. So with, um, with that process, then was, did she kind of stay in that situation or did it continue in that vein for you? So for me, um, I didn't really like try to tell my mom that I was being sexually abused because I didn't think anybody would believe me. So for almost five years, my 16 year old cousin 
And that's, you know, mm-hmm. he tried to rape me, sexually abuse me, you know, all of those different things that, that usually happens in those situations. And it wasn't until my adopted parents divorced that I was able to be away from him. And then I could actually talk to her and she listened. So I started therapy. I started, you know, all these different things. But even while I was at home, like I was introduced to cocaine for the first time, I used to dump it down the the kitchen sink in an attempt to save my parents from themselves. Um, And I was like five or six years old when that started. So it wasn't until I was close to 10 years old that they got divorced and the physical abuse and the emotional abuse and the sexual abuse stopped for a short time. It mm-hmm. did continue, but just for a, a brief moment in time, it stopped. Okay. okay. Um, so what would you say, you know, your story kind of picks up next? Uh, <laughs> for you, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like so complex here. It's like I have yeah. all these. I could probably write a book on each moment of my life. But uh, for me, uh, my, I think it picks back up when I started doing drugs and drinking. I was 11 years old. I found out that my biological mother had passed away and no one had told me for several years. And so I was seven when it happened, but I didn't find out. So I was almost 11. So Mm. that was like the catalyst for me of like changing my total personality. Like I wore black for a year. I was very angry. Mm. I was, Mm -hmm. I was drinking, I was sneaking the wine that my adopted mom would drink and I was sneaking it out of the, you know, those boxes they used to have a wine. And so I would sneak it out of there because you couldn't tell how much was in it. And so mm-hmm. I started smoking. I started smoking weed by the time I was 13. And so all of those in that in that moment of really hating life, really being angry because I couldn't trust anybody around me and not understanding that all of that anger was also coming from when I was a small child experiencing mm-hmm. abuse and sexual abuse because it was like, Almost like a, you can talk about it within this context, but if it triggers me, you can't talk about it. Yeah. And so for me, I also experienced, um, I think this is a key part of my story too, because my adopted mom severely beat me and I was taken to Gwinnett County defects and they said, well, you can go back home with her. And in reality, what should have happened is I should have went with another parent. So that created mistrust between me and my adopted mom. Mm-hmm. Um, her reasons for doing it. Uh, my sister and I were playing behind a locked bedroom door. You know, we were kids and she came to the door ready and prepared, you know, and it was like, oh, okay. So this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And instead of walking me through healing and restoration for the things that I experienced and the anger, instead it was like reciprocated on me again. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't trust anybody after that. Um, so it, it, it it like picks up there and then I get moved around from parent to parent to parent. And by the time I was 13, I was raped twice by once by a man in the neighborhood and once by a boyfriend at a party. So Mm -hmm. I was already heavily into alcohol. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time it was like, well, this is my fault. Right. We talked about this in the beginning. I didn't know how to identify this. Sure. So this must, all of this must be my fault. My parents bouncing me from place to place, me being so angry and getting in trouble, the rapes, the sexual abuse, all of that stuff, even the addiction, everything was my fault. Right. I never once stopped to think that, hey, this is what you've been taught. Right. Yeah. right. These are the things that somebody, you, when you, when a child watches a parent do something, they're learning. Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what it was. Sure. Learn behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. It was crazy how much those um, unspoken things get internalized. Yeah. For what you know, responses should or shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. 
Um, so at what point were you able to kind of get settled or was that something that you were able to do? I actually never got settled. So I I can't say never. I'm settled now. (laughs) Like (laughs) I'm in my forties, so I'm settled now. Um, But to be honest, like I, I didn't know what normal was without Mm -hmm. trauma, abuse and addiction. Right. And so I didn't have a sense of, Oh, don't do this because I saw my parents do it. Right. Like the drugs and stuff like that. So I became a full fledged out there addict by the time I was 17 years old. And so that's when I'd moved out of home and I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live here. I'm not gonna follow your rules. You're doing all this stuff. You've done all this stuff to me. Like at at one point, uh, my adopted mom tried to commit suicide in front of me. And it was like, I don't, I just want to leave. I want to be out of here. Um, And so it was after I had jumped out of my two story bedroom window, trying to escape without her knowing I was escaping and broke my leg because I landed on concrete. (laughs) It wasn't a smart idea, but I tried, you know, Uh I, I realized I had to be out of the house. So I moved out after I got Mm -hmm. healed and, you know, some time went by and I moved in with a boyfriend who was all loving and caring and respectful up front. But I I was, I think I was 18 when he hit me for the first time, like punched Mm -hmm. me square in the face. And I was like, what? Like Uh on earth. And when I fought back, I only fought back with a part of me, right? Mm -hmm. Because there was a part of me that was like, well, I must have deserved that. Because as a child, I had gone through the same things and been told, this is your fault. So obviously I deserve this too. And we stayed in a volatile relationship for 20 years. Oh, wow. Off and on for 20 years, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I... I think for me, the, the, the getting settling part was even when I, we would break up and I would live with like my friend's mom, she still didn't do what was needed to be done for me because she sold me to a man for $50 when I was almost 19, eight, between 18 and 19. And so, oh, wow. um, I had no sense of what authentic love was or how to respect mm-hmm. myself or any of those things. Right. So all mm-hmm. of that, that pain just continued to, um, compound on top of one another and um after that she put me in a massage parlor and I was there for a couple of years like I could leave but I wasn't making any barely any money so I would always come back right right because I had the shame of the stigma nobody's gonna let me work for them after what I've been through my work history is trafficked massage parlor maybe a gas station you know like that's my work history who's gonna want somebody like me so I stayed um, and it wasn't until we got pregnant with our first child that I was able to leave the massage parlor. And I did have some sense of normalcy, right? Not for long, mm-hmm. but I did have a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so then with your, with your kid, uh, is it w- just one child or? I have two. Yeah, I okay. Have two. Um, so were they able to have kind of a consistent home life a little bit or? Uh, they did. Okay. So they did a little bit. I was the mom who I was the closet at closet addict. Okay. Um, I wasn't doing drugs after I found out I was pregnant. I, I would stop. But then shortly thereafter, like my husband would start doing meth or my ex-husband would start doing meth. And so I would join him. Like it would just be this like tug of war within myself. And I didn't know about celebrate recovery. I didn't know about AA. I didn't know about NA. I didn't know about any of those resources, right? No domestic violence resources. I had nothing. Right. And his his mom would always tell me, well, if you would stop acting that way, he wouldn't hit you. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, OK, so it's my fault. Right. And so that's but that's what I internalized. 
So for my kids, what I tried to do was to give them as much normal life as possible when we weren't fighting. So I was like the substitute art teacher at the school. Like I dressed kind of like in, you know, toe socks and flip flops and shorts and hoodies, you know, just kind of being like the cool mom, right? When they were growing up and they went to a private school. So I had to take them and pick them up. They didn't have a bus. So I always had to make sure that if I went to the school and got out of the car, like I had bruises covered up and things like that. Cause the one place he wouldn't hit me too much was my face. And so everything could be covered. Bring Freedom's fundraiser, Dad Jugs for Change, is coming up on June 10th. Tickets will be available for pre-order on the website bringfreedom.org on May 10th. Can't wait to see you there. But I try to give my kids something different than me, even though that's not really what happened. I did try in the process. Sure. And I mean, I think that's a lot, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, you're still surviving throughout that process as well. Yep. Yeah. I was definitely survive- in survival mode. I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, well, this is just my life, you know, um, and we argued. So it didn't matter if like I made dinner one way, it should have been done another if, you know, and then I got to the point where I would just kind of pick the fight before the fight happened because I knew the fight was coming. Yeah. And so it was like, well, might as well go ahead and get it over with. So I would pick fights because that's what I knew. I saw my parents do it too. They were very abusive to each other. So all of those things were so normal for me that you couldn't have told me at that time that it wasn't normal and nobody was really trying either. And so, um, I think before what, what our kids call the big fight, um, in 2012 or no, 2011 was that catalyst moment of, Hey, something really bad's about to happen. Right. And, um, it almost did because when he tried to kill me, my son stepped in and has, so had it not been for my son at the time, I wouldn't be here. Um, mm. but my daughter was hiding under the blanket on a couch. And so for her, she lived it, you know, my kids had to deal with that trauma too. Yeah. And I think sometimes as parents, we don't see that because we're stuck in our own traumatic experiences mm. and yeah. we're not understanding that our kids are literally watching everything we do. And one day they'll mimic that behavior. Mm. Yes. And how old was your son at the time? He was, let's see, he's 20, almost 24 now. It was, so he was like 10, maybe. Mm. So he was still little, pretty little. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty little. Like, um, and so both of them, no, he was, no, he was 11 or 12 and his sister was eight. Okay. The timeline sometimes I have to pause for a minute. Sure. Now, wait a minute. When did this? Because there's been so much. It's like, what year did this happen in? So it was in 2012. So it was not long ago. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, but that's still a lot. So then at that point, were you able to get out of the situation then? So I asked his mom, I was like, you know, because the, what they presented me with was them taking the kids and just kind of leaving me to fend for myself and do whatever, you know, right. after that. And I was like, no, I don't want to give up custody of my kids. I, I need your help. And I said, I, I need your help. We need your help. But it was like a together thing. And they didn't like that. So um, his mom took me to court and in court, I lost temporary custody of the kids. My attorney did not do anything but sit there. And they literally drug up things that happened to me when I was 16 years old and a blog post that I wrote trying to help a girl to stop self-harming. Like they only use part of it, not all of it. And um, I was arguing with the attorney on the stand, like, you can't just use part of it. You got to use all of it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so they made me out to be this mental health addict, crazy woman that couldn't take care of her kids. 
kids would go without food. And so it was like, okay, well, I know I have issues, but I asked for help and nobody's willing to help me. And so when his mom got temporary custody of the kids, I spiraled out of control. Of course. I mean, I, I hadn't been without my daughter since the day she was born and my son would go stay at his grandmother's, you know, and I'd be back and forth just at the beginning of his life. And so because of where I lived and where I worked and, but I had not been away from them. Yeah. And they were like, I, I would have it's, it shouldn't be this way with parents, but to me at the time, they were like the glue that was holding me together. They're the reason I got up in the morning, the reason I did this, the reason I did that. That wasn't a healthy reason. It should have been I got up for me and then I got up for my kids, but I didn't know that at the time. Right. And I really spiraled really bad. I was homeless, sleeping in my car, sleeping in abandoned houses, like no, and nobody said, they're like, oh, well, if, if you get your stuff together in six months, you can get your kids. But I'm a, I was in school without a job. Mm-hmm. the income left, you know, mm-hmm. and he wasn't paying child support like he was supposed to. So I had nothing. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, okay, I'm, I'm just done. Like I'm, I'm done. Yeah. So it was, it was hard. I could definitely hard. imagine that. Well, and what, what turned things around for you? So they didn't really turn around until 2016. So this is about a time span between 2013 and 2016 for about three years. I had two more abusive relationships, mm-hmm. uh, mentally, physically, emotionally. I mean, you just name it. That's what I went through. Um, I did attempt suicide a couple of times. Like I remember mm-hmm. I got all my mental health meds filled and took them all at one time. I mean, I even looked up, okay, what will happen if I do this? So I knew I knew that I was going to get the result that I was looking for because I was just done. Um, But I audibly heard the voice of God tell me when I was thrown up in the woods, he's like, I'm not done with you yet. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm ready to come home. You're done. No, 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 no. I did not hear that. And I heard it again for the second time. And I was like, oh man, (laughs) like, what's going to happen now? Right. And so that was, that was kind of the start of it for me, but it didn't really like, matriculator or you know do anything until um uh my ex-boyfriend and I had broke up I was homeless again I was um in this horrible horrible hotel in Norcross Mm -hmm. I mean you could just smell everybody who'd ever been in there before right it was that kind of horrible and so I was sleeping on a friend's couch and um I had met two women uh through drug running um in the early part of 2015 and I had escaped because I was like, yeah, y'all doing some stuff. I don't want to go to federal prison for it. So I'm out of here. Um, but they hit me up on Instagram and, mm. you know, kind of like slid into my DM as they say. And they were like, do you want to make some money? And I thought it was drug running again. And I was like, well, you know, my thought was if I could do this then I could get out of this hotel, get on my feet, I could do something. Right. Because the one thing I always thought about was my kids. Like, I don't want my kids to see me this way, but I want my kids back. This isn't fair. Like, I needed help, but I don't know what to do. Like, still, Mm -hmm. I didn't even know about domestic violence shelters. Sure. So, you know, I knew that there were Salvation Army shelters, but I didn't know there were domestic violence shelters. And so um, I answered yes. So they came and picked me up. And when I got in the car and we drove away from the hotel, they're like, well, you know, we're not really going to go do what you've done before. So we're going to take you to this hotel and you're going to turn a trick. And I'm like, what is that? What are you talking about? Because I had blocked out the things that happened to me when I was younger. Right. So I was just like, my mind was like, cut it off. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. You, you can take me back. They said, no, we're not taking you back. Mm-hmm. You have to do this first. And so it was like, well, I can't, I'm not going to jump out of a moving car. That's stupid, right? Like, I mean, I know if you have to do it, but it's not advisable, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went and we went to the Quality Inn on Shallowford Road. Um, and I remember standing in there and being like, this is not my life. This is, I'm going to wake up. This is not real. There's just no way this is possible. And that day I turned my first trick. And the guy said, here, hide this money and don't let him know you have it. And I'm like, why, 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 why do I have to do that? So he gave me extra and then he gave me what I was going to have to give to them. I didn't know what a pimp was other than the movie. So it didn't look normal to me. They're females. Right. Right. And she walks in the room afterwards and she's like, so how much did he give you? And I handed her all of it Mm because I was like, what am I supposed to do? I didn't know I was supposed to keep it. And out of the two of them, they were both gang members, and one of them was also being trafficked and had been since she was 13. So she was a victim. I just didn't know it. Right. And she was like, she looked at me later. She's like, you should have kept what we gave you. Yeah. And I was like, because he was one of her clients. And I was like, oh, okay. And I said, so will you take me back now? They're like, no, we need you to work a few, you know, do a few more tricks, work, see a few more people. And I'm like, that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. But it, it's what happened until... From October of 2015 until March of 2016, um, I was being sold until I met a buyer who I say rescued me because I thought that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, took me home, took me home to his family for Thanksgiving. Uh, so I was at Thanksgiving dinner with his family sitting there like this dude just purchased me and rescued me from these two people like what? And, and none of the family said anything to me. Right. It was like so normal for me to be there that even that became um, a holiday like I did not ever want to experience again because his family was just like, oh, hi, how are you? We're so glad you're here. And I'm like, huh? What? Yeah. I mean, I ate with my head down. I couldn't even look the people in the eye and I saw kids running around and my heart broke. Mm -hmm. And so after that, he took me to a hotel because I refused to be his living girlfriend. And he took me to a hotel with a girl who taught me how to post on Backpage. Um, and she taught me how to post, when to post, how to do my pictures, how to do all these things that had already been previously being done on like for me by the first two traffickers. And I ended up staying in and out of the hotels in and around Atlanta until March until I got arrested. And that was my catalyst moment. That was my flip it all around. I was my 180 moment was jail. We would just love to thank our Patreon partners, Vicki Price, Stephanie Kern, Maureen O'Brien, and Willie P. We are so grateful for your support at the top level on our Patreon page. Um, it means a lot to us personally, but it also means that they get these benefits. They get behind the scenes content, a discount on continued trainings, They get listed on each episode of the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, and they get early ticket access to events like our upcoming Dad Jokes for Change fundraiser, where Vicki, Stephanie, Maureen, and Willie P. will be our VIPs. We invite you to join us as well to be a patron of the Persons with Lived Experience podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash Bring Freedom Org. Thank you so much. Wow. So with jail then, how long were you actually convicted or was it 
So that's really interesting. So they wanted to convict me. I mm-hmm. was pulled over with a pimp, um, mm-hmm. which I couldn't identify at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. The girl's boy boyfriend was actually her pimp. And so mm-hmm. I got arrested for uh, felony gun possession because I purchased a weapon to protect myself and had it legal through the state, but also had methamphetamines on me. And so it made my handgun illegal. Right. So I got arrested for possession of a firearm with intent to commit a felony and possession of felony um, methamphetamines, however they word that. And so from March 11th to November 3rd of 2016, it was exactly eight months to the day. um, They couldn't convict me because I wouldn't plea. I refused to plea. I was like, no, uh -uh. the way you arrested me was wrong. I had cops yelling in my face. You know, like I realized there was something a whole lot going on in that situation that I wasn't aware of. So I told my public defenders, like, I'm not I'm not playing out. I'm not a good probationer. 14 years is a long time. I'm not doing it. I said, I'd rather take it to trial. And so they let me out on an OR bond, which they don't normally do. But I know that was a Lord. So they let me out on an OR bond. Um, And I still wasn't convicted. I still hadn't pled out. I didn't plea. I didn't actually work a plea until 2019. After I had gone through House of Cherith uh, for trafficking survivors and out of darkness. And so I said, fine, if I have to plea, you know, this is my only choice. And I'm only doing two years on probation, credit for time served, you know, whatever fine community service hours. I had taken all my community service hours with me when I went. Mm-hmm. And so they gave me seven due two on probation. Okay. Um And I completed it. And then I started working on legislation to help trafficking survivors have their records vacated and expunged when they catch charges under the duress of trafficking, Mm -hmm. which passed in Georgia. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that it passed. Yeah, so it it passed in 2019. Okay. And then there was a revision to it to where there's no waiting period anymore. And Mm -hmm. so now there's women and men in jail who can get out if their charges were caught under the duress of trafficking and they can plea and petition to get out of prison. Sure. That's really cool. Yeah. Is that a state law in Georgia? It's a state law in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and uh, street grace works with pro bono attorneys to help the survivors work on their cases, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever paperwork needs to be done. So we have a whole team of pro bono attorneys across, across the gamut that actually help with that, which is really cool. That is really cool. And and that's life-changing for somebody that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times are forced to, you know, do a myriad of things to catch charges. (laughs) It gives them the opportunity when they get out to actually get safe housing, Mm -hmm. you know, good places to live, even to to start work work. uh, as well. Because, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies will background check. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> so mine was on there for a couple of years. And I was very fortunate to work with House of Cherith and Street Grace. But mm-hmm. uh, one thing I did was so I had to plea first offenders. I was like, this is not I'm not keeping this on my record. So now they're trying to make it to where even if it's first offenders, you can go back and backtrack mm-hmm. to the arrest and have all of that taken out. And like you never used your first offenders at all. Because uh, I shouldn't have been charged, right? Like, yeah. I take ownership for the drugs and, you know, but it's like, I, I, the way that it happened was wrong. And so, like, literally, my case came down to 20 seconds and a drug dog named Snoopy. Had the dog been 20 seconds before, 
then they would have dropped my whole case. And I'm like, come on, that's just 20 seconds. Like who holds on to 20 seconds? Like, yeah, but they wanted the case. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, they wanted to prove they were doing something. Yeah. 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 And so now, and, and I wasn't identified as a trafficking survivor either or victim at the time. So I wasn't identified. I was just like the girl in the car and who had the gun and the gun was the bigger than the drug. So, you know, sure. yeah, they wanted to nail me on that one. <laughs> so yeah. they didn't get to though. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. Yeah. So, so how did you find um, your, your organizations that you had gone through? You said there was two of them, which ones, what, what did you say? Uh, so I first went to out of darkness because okay. someone in jail referred, because I was looking for a Bible and I couldn't get one. And mm -hmm. so Out of Darkness sent me a life recovery Bible to where I started to work on my 12 steps and get into the word of God. And so um, that was life changing for me in jail. Like I had this major moment in a lockdown cell where it was like I had this whole Jacob experience like, OK, Lord, I'm not letting you go um, mm -hmm. and, and you can't let me go either. But you've got mm -hmm. to remove my desire to ever do drugs again. You've got to remove my desire to ever drink again because it, it was killing me. My mm -hmm. drug habit when I got arrested was $2,000 a week. And so yeah. I was just doing drugs to try to get high, but I wasn't getting high anymore. And so mm -hmm. I knew that that had to change. So when Out of Darkness sent me that Bible, that's when everything started shifting. And yeah. they came to see me once a week, uh, once a month. Um Every no, it was every Wednesday for eight months. It was once a week. Um, and so I learned like that I could go there when I got out. So they said, just call this number and we'll come pick you up wherever you are. So that's what I did. I was only out two days and I went to out of darkness. Then they what they do with any survivors, they give them an option of like three or four programs. And there's like, okay, do you want to go to this one? It doesn't have smoking. Or do you want to go to this one? You can smoke there. Do you want to go to this one? It's out of state. So they give you all these options. Okay. And I was so drawn to house of Cherith. Um, and I just really felt like that's where the Lord wanted me. So that's where I went and spent 16 and a half months before I became a staff member in their program. Wow. That's great. Yeah. And then so, I met Street Grace at Lobby Day or Advocacy Day. Okay, wonderful. Very cool. Um, so with uh, the place where you lived, mm -hmm. what did they offer like counseling? Was it, you know, helping you work your 12 steps? Was it, I mean, as, as much as you feel comfortable. Oh, no. So at House of Cherith, um, I actually started the recovery programs. So we would go off campus, so like NA or AA, but some of the places that we went to are really rough. Like there was one that we went to was full of men and you mm -hmm. have 20 women walk in to do NA that does it, that are in a program. You can't do that. So, <laughs> so we yeah, had so women here. <laughs> right, yeah. You find them like sneaking in the back, smoking a cigarette, like, you know, yeah. and you get in the van and one person smells like a cigarette and everybody else is all mad because they didn't have one, you know? So we actually had to stop going. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I, what I really felt led and learned to do, because I was actually, as I was in the program trying to heal, I was counseling some of the women in the program too, to help them get through it, like mm -hmm. someone had done for me. Mm -hmm. And so I actually started recovery classes, started teaching Celebrate Recovery and started doing the 12 steps with some of the ladies. And we actually had people come in and doing that with us too. Mm -hmm. um, there was counseling, there was trauma-informed counseling, um, Richmond University set up hope counseling there. And so their counselors would come in and do counseling with us, which for me was the first time I ever got to see my life for what it was. Sure. It was like totally eye opening for me. Um, and 
you know, we did things like art therapy because I became an art therapy teacher there. And um, we would have, you know, the gym time because it had a big basketball gym. So we'd go in there and have gym and things like that. So it was a, like for well-roundedness, it had everything that you would need. Healthcare was on campus. Like it was really one of those things where um, I, I got 20 years worth of healing in 16 and a half months. That's amazing. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, but I, I had to work it, right? Like mm-hmm. I couldn't be passive in it. And I think sometimes we get into these these modes where we're a little bit passive in our recovery. But what I realized was, was my recovery was every day. Yeah. Every morning I woke up, every morning I went to bed. Like my recovery was me, Jesus, the word and recovery. And that was what it was. And yeah. um, it changed my life, to be honest. Like it, it changed my whole perspective on life. Mm-hmm so great it is great yeah so then um you got connected to street grace through an advocacy day uh in georgia yep Mm -hmm. um so then how did you end up transitioning there so i had moved my way from like a house mom or an rsa to intake coordinator and case manager Mm -hmm. um and i had reached this point where i was not dealing with my actual trafficking Like, you know, there's layers to it. So I had to deal with 20 years, 20 plus years worth of addiction Mm -hmm. and what that did to me and my family. And but the trafficking piece was still sitting underneath. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to be honest, these ladies were triggering me left and right. And I did not understand why until I started going through Rebecca Mender's Elevate Academy. And I was like, oh, so that's where I'm getting triggered. I need a break. Like, Lord, I need a break. Mm -hmm. And so I got the job offer during the pandemic, December of 2020, mm-hmm. right in the heart of it. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, it's time to go. <laughs> like, I love these ladies. Don't get me wrong. However, yeah. I, I need a mental health break. And so I came to work with street grace and I've been, been here ever since. Um, I did take a four month sabbatical recently to kind of get more healing and just, you know, cause when you jump from program to working for the program you went through to still being in the trafficking field to mentoring youth who've been trafficked when you're a survivor you need a break yeah you 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 need a space to not have to deal with everybody else's trauma so that you can get deeper into your own yeah and honestly it was like oh so you want me to do what so I like resigned I did the whole formalities not realizing it was going to be a four-month sabbatical I thought I was just going to another job and the Lord's like no 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 sit down and rest (laughs) (laughs) you need to sit down you're doing way too much and so yeah yeah, but I mean it's this is still like the people here are like family so it's still like home to me too Mm -hmm. that's so great I love that and are you in touch with your kids now Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have been for several years. It, it started back when I was at House of Chairs because, again, they had to deal with their stuff, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has continued. So we've continued to grow in that because, you know, we have to rebuild a relationship for what happened when they were kids. Yeah, yeah. And I've had to walk through when I did amends, I started calling people on the phone. People would call me, say, did you do this? And I would be like, yes, I did. I'm sorry. You know, like amends to me meant everything mm-hmm. and it meant apologizing for my own behavior, even if some of it was related to trauma, right. Mm-hmm. Or was because of a trigger and I flipped out on somebody like, you know, those kind of things I really had to take a look at and go, okay, so let me make amends for this, but what did I do to my kids? 
Yeah. Right. Like what did they go through that they didn't need to go through? And even though I didn't know resources or have them, my kids still suffered. And yeah. so we've had to work on rebuilding our relationship too, especially now that they're young adults. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's important. And, but it, I think it's really going to pay off in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. A healed sure. and whole, healed and whole relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Breaking those probably generational cycles, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. And those are the hardest to break, but it's possible. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, um, yeah, I think a big part of what we're trying to prevent besides just trafficking, we're trying to prevent the just generational trauma. And, um, yeah. Well, I just think you're an amazing woman and thank you um, yeah. so much to be grateful for. I'm also proud of and all your hard work. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord's been very good. <laughs> so it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been a process. Right. It definitely is. And I do also want to highlight like, like one of the reasons like we share these stories is because we know that our journeys are not just about us overcoming, but about others behind us overcoming. Yep. And even, you know, sharing my story or sharing your story is an opportunity for others to hear maybe a story that sounds like them or sounds like, part of their story to be able to understand like there are resources for you. There are ways that you can get connected. There are, you know, places that you can go to to get help. Um, Because at the time I didn't know that when I was going through everything, I didn't know that you said you didn't know that either. I have no idea. (laughs) Nobody, you know, and it's interesting when you ask, when you ask a trusted adult or somebody, you, you know, even, even as an adult, right? Like you, you want to trust your in-laws, you want to trust your parents, you want to trust these people. And so when you ask someone, Hey, I need help. And they turn you down. That's something that you also internalize as well. Maybe I'm not good enough for help. Maybe I'm not worth it. Maybe I don't have the value or I just don't mean anything to anybody. And that's really how I felt. Like I, you know, I I tell this in my story sometimes. So the, the friend's mom who trafficked me when I was 18 and sold me, she saw three things in me. She saw beauty, value, and purpose. Mm. The three things that I didn't even see in myself, but she exploited them. Now that I can see them from a healthy standpoint, beauty, value, and purpose, I know I have purpose in this life. I know God created me for a reason, right? I know I have value inherently. um, And I know that there's beauty in my story and and, in the person that I am and the person that I'm still becoming every day because it's still a journey. Like you don't stop working on this. You just continue. It gets less and less. You know, you get more healed and more whole. But I think until... Until we get to heaven, we're still going to be working on all of our stuff. So, you know, yeah. but it's that one day, one moment, sometimes one second at a time going, okay, well, today I'm tired. Why, why, why am I tired? Right? Like mm-hmm. I got sleep. Why am I tired? What, what mm-hmm. is happening around me? What how, am I being triggered? Like, and it's, it's that self-awareness too, of understanding that these things happened and they were traumatic, mm-hmm. right? Cause a lot of times we also like to put it on a shelf and, that's okay. It's that's in the past. No, it's still affecting you today. You know, I think that was hard for me too. Yeah. I could see that. Um, but you did say that you have a blog. Yes. And it sounds like you share some of these stories that you've kind of processed through. Um, I do there. And where could people read that? So it's on WordPress. You can either look up my name, Faith Cadona, or, and I'm going to spell it, but some people usually get it wrong. So it's B3, 
A U T I F U L L Y, and then it's R three D E E M E D dot com. So beautifully um, redeemed. Beautifully redeemed with threes in it instead oh, of all E's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll get it in the show notes too. So. Yeah. 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 So you so can copy paste. the link. <laughs> Yeah, that'll work. Because <laughs> I'm like, if I spell this, people are going to be like, what'd she say? That's why I said you could just look me up. And when you look me up, you'll see my blog. Okay. Great. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Well, we just really are grateful to have you on. And yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs>